athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. I am certainly glad to be back with you here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Thank you for sticking with us for the last three weeks. I was on, been on vacation, as a matter of fact, had a wonderful time, went on a cruise, and then also went to Puerto Rico for a week. And, um, boy, I, I tell you what, that for me, in going on vacation, it, it's... You know, it's 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 a great thing, obviously, because you kind of get away. You're going to have fun. As a matter of fact, it was just me and my wife who went to Puerto Rico, and then the entire family went on the cruise thereafter. But it's one of those deals for me when I we first get there, it's all good. We, we got there on, on, on a Saturday three weeks ago and uh, around 1 o'clock or so, and, 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 and then, you know, Sunday comes, Monday comes, and then when Tuesday starts to get around, because we're leaving, we needed to leave, you know, Friday night, late Friday night, had a very early Saturday morning flight. Um, it's one of those deals where, boy, once Tuesday comes Wednesday, you know you're on the backside of that vacation. And uh, so, but it certainly enjoyed it while we were there. And then, of course, the, the next week, uh enjoying our cruise with the family uh, as well. So had a great time, but certainly glad to be back with you on today. Obviously, we got a whole lot to get to on the program. Haven't been gone for three weeks. Congratulations to the Cleveland Cavaliers for winning the NBA title. And, and you know, I got many thoughts on that. I, w- I want to kind of sum that up a little bit because it, it was something that I think most, especially with Golden State being up three to one, thought would have been improbable. However, you know, I've really something about and they got some help along the way. I mean, let's you know, let's be honest. Uh, Draymond Green getting suspended for game five uh, essentially, I think, gives Cleveland that championship. I think if he if he's there for game five, I don't think Cleveland wins the championship at all. However, we got to go back to the OKC and Golden State series where Draymond Green probably should have been suspended uh, for kicking Adams in the groin area in that series. And so, really, it just came back to bite him, really. But, but got some thoughts on that. Got some thoughts on Cleveland winning the championship at, what, the first time in, in, in 52 years that the Cavaliers won a major pro sports championship or a title uh, for the town of Cleveland, for the city of Cleveland, which is great. And LeBron, you know, promised that's what he wanted to do. And two years ago around this time, he said that he was coming back home to Cleveland 
to the northern Ohio area and, and certainly delivered on his promise. And by the way, he's opted out of his contract. Probably, I would think, more of a formality just to be able to re-up and get more money. I think his current contract is $24 million a year, so he wants to obviously up that and get as much as he can, get as many max dollars as he can. Probably another two-year deal with a player option um, for the second year. But he did what he said he was going to do. And I, you know, I think he comes back to Cleveland, but I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I, it's like playing spades. You know, I, I, it's not, you know, I don't count it uh, per se, but I think he definitely is, is going to be back. I think had Cleveland not won the championship this year, you know, I don't know. LeBron, little restless, may have, may have moved on from, from Cleveland. You know, I I don't think it would have been a, a great move uh, for him in terms of a career. The reason being, you know, you, you, you have to give it more than two years to try to make it work. And this is why you said you were coming back. And I know you want to win championships. And so he ultimately does. So that, that that's neither here nor there at this point, because ultimately he wins the championship. And now we'll have to see what LeBron James does moving forward. But I think ultimately he will stay in Cleveland. So we're going to talk. I just want to kind of sum up the uh, NBA Finals and Cleveland winning the championship game. I know it's a little bit old at this point, but kind of want to give my thoughts since I've been away. Um, also, NBA free agency, Fast and Furious, obviously the biggest name in NBA free agency, Kevin Durant. And will you know where will Kevin Durant be? Will he re-sign in OKC? Will he, um, you know, Go somewhere else. He has a he's done a bunch of visits, has some more visits to do. Of course, OKC is one of the stops. And I mean, OKC trying to make uh, a flurry of moves and various moves. They even were involved in a trade last week. And so uh, a lot to talk about, plus the NBA draft. And that's one of the things when you talk about the NBA around this time of year. I mean, the NBA is dominant. We, when when the NFL is going on, it's all about the NFL for the most part. I mean, even when the NFL season starts in, you know, even with preseason in August and then you go to September, it's it sort of, uh, you know, you, then at that point, the even MLB in a lot of respects, uh, even with their playoffs and even with the World Series in a lot of respects, um, takes a backseat to the National Football League and the National Football League running from really July with the training camps because there's much interest in that all the way to the big game, which takes place the first Sunday in uh, February. And so it's a, a pretty big deal. But for the NBA, I mean, they got this thing on lock from, you know, I would say April to about now. So you're talking about three months of the NBA because the NBA playoffs, I thought this year as exciting in the overall playoffs. And I know the first few rounds of weren't as exciting, especially when you look at Cleveland and their dominance. Uh, although Toronto was able to win a couple of games in the Eastern conference finals, but you know, some of the series, you know, were, were in, were compelling. And ultimately the NBA finals and that Western conference finals were, two series for the ages. And uh, so, again, the NBA having it on lock uh, from about April to now. And even, you know, we're still talking NBA. The NBA finals took place 
two weeks ago, we're still talking NBA because of free agency. So NBA big, and we're going to talk a lot about that today, free agency, uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, etc. on the program. Want to get your thoughts, you can uh, hit us up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. Also, want to talk, and, and by the way, our our HBCU Legends series continues today here on From the Press Box to Press Row, as we're going to be talking today with pro football Hall of Famer Elvin Bethea. You know, a, a giant was lost this week with the passing of Pat Summit, the former coach uh, at the University of Tennessee. And when you look at the resume, you know, I mean, you know, in, in just in reading, you know, doing some research and reading more about uh, Pat Summit, um, you know, it, there was a time I was reading she when she first started coaching in the mid 70s, she was coaching, of course, the the Lady Vols. And um, there were four um, four players on her team that were from Tennessee high schools that were only like a year younger than her, something like that, because she started coaching at like the age of 22 and she was started out as an assistant and abruptly was uh, was named the head coach. And in the Tennessee high school system, they used to play uh, six on six. It's like a six on six where uh, and it was some variations of whether players could pass half court or which players could pass half court. So obviously women's basketball has come an extremely long way. And, you know, obviously a lot of that has to do with Pat Summit. I mean, when you think about where women's basketball is today and, and, and more so on the collegiate level, uh, you know, and, and, and kudos, I'd say, to the NBM. As a matter of fact, it's interesting because her, her, her passing, and she was diagnosed with um, early dementia um, some, was this, 2011, 2012, so you're talking some four or five years ago, uh, whereas um, – we are the WNBA is celebrating 20 years. I don't know if people thought that the WNBA would last 20 years. I think anytime you, ha- you know, the NBA wanted to see this through and, you know, we've had some teams kind of come and go. The fact of the matter is um, the teams that have stayed around for a long time have developed a great fan base. And I say that all of that to say Pat summit w- was, um, I mean, if, if there if there was not a Pat Summit, there would be have been no WNBA. And by the way, she had some of the great players of all time that she coached that ultimately went on um, to play in the WNBA. But some of them obviously having a lot of success overseas because I think we've had this conversation in the past where you know a lot of the women's players you know are able to make a lot of their money and play a lot overseas, and the WNBA has afforded. Um, some opportunities and, and and I think it's it's expanding a little bit when you talk about um, uh, the, the the visibility of it um, a lot more games are being shown nationally as a matter of fact I, if I, my memory serves me correctly it seems like there was a league that came around a women's league where Dawn Staley uh, was was one of the faces of the league that played that came around before the WNBA and some various leagues but women's basketball has come such a long way. And a lot of that has to do with Pat Summit. Summit, eight 
national championships. And by the way, she didn't win her first national championship until 12 years after she started coaching. Um, so she, you know, we just lost an absolute giant, not only with respect to women's basketball, but basketball as a whole. The all-time winningest coach in basketball history is Pat Summit with 1,098 victories. We'll be right back. My girl's like candy, a candy tree. She loves me high up off my feet. She's so fine, ask and be. I know this girl is just for me. Candy girl. A Budweiser, America, and Florida Georgia line. I still remember our first big show. Budweiser's in the air and hearing the crowd sing our song. That's when it really feels like America is in our hands. And when I'm holding a nice cold Budweiser that says America on the front. <laughs> that too. Cheers. This Bud's for you. Enjoy responsibly. Budweiser beer, Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. It's Donald Ware, host of From the Press Box to Press Row. You never know who may be a guest on the program. We are joined by Ice Cube, one of the greatest boxers of all time. Sugar Ray Leonard is on the line. We're joined by Demarcus Ware. We are joined by Wendy Raquel Robinson. Art Shell is our guest. Maybe the greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. I'm talking about none other then common mark mariel who's the president and ceo of the national urban league ceo commissioner of the ciaa leon carey none other than the world-renowned smoky north the godfather of go-go chuck brown joins us here talking about none other than doug williams serena williams that was definitely one of the better matches i've ever played missed any of these interviews check us out online at www.boxtorow.com that's from the press box to press row. Real relevant radio. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. Happy Fourth of July weekend. Joining us in a couple of moments will be Pro Football Hall of Famer Elvin Bethea. We had him momentarily on the line during the break. We lost him, so now trying to get him back. And uh, again, Pro Football Hall of Famer Elvin Bethea going to join us in this segment here on From the Press Box to Press Row. One last thought about Pat Summit, who again passed away earlier in the week. And, um, I mean, you know, I mean, to the point, I think it was Sports Illustrated named her the the coach of the century. Uh, you have to think of the humble beginnings and, and where she came from. Again, as I mentioned, starting in the mid-70s, I mean, women's – NCAA didn't even – the NCAA didn't even sponsor women's basketball at that time. So you had, you know, other – uh, there was an, a, another league, AC, was it ACI, WA, something like that, where um, they sponsored a, a, AIAW, excuse me, AIAW, uh, that sponsored women's basketball and where they had a, a women's national championship um, or women's national, uh, a national tournament. And the NCAA didn't, you know, didn't come along until, you know, early 80s with a national championship or or sponsorship of women's basketball 
for that matter, which, you know, is crazy, especially where you think when you think of where women's basketball is today, especially on the collegiate level. And, you know, a lot of credence is given to women's basketball. And I can remember kind of growing up maybe, you know, uh, more so during the Dawn Staley, Staley era, era, that is, when, of course, she played at Temple. I guess that was early 90s when she was really good and some of the other women that uh, that came along during that time. I remember UVA. It seemed like to me UVA had a pair of twins that was, you know, really good maybe in the 80s. And, you know, so ba- women's basketball really started to kind of rise late 80s, um, uh, early 90s, and it, it, it's no – uh, coincidence that it coincided with, of course, Pat Summit winning for Tennessee, or as the coach of Tennessee, the first their first national championship, the first of eight, of course, in 87. Then you're talking about 89, 91, and then three straight, 96 to 98, then also 2007 and 2008. And, yeah, I realize Gino Ariema has built a great program with uh, UConn. As a matter of fact, he's won 11 national titles and had a couple of strings where he's won so many straight. But if not for Pat Summit, then there would be no Gino Ariema. And, um, and so, you know, again, you talk about the legacy of Pat Summit and, uh, you know, probably still could have kept going. And, uh, by the way, I mean, you're talking about, a coach that never had a losing season. I mean, you, we got some great coaches of all time out here, whereas some of them at some point had had a losing season. And um, Pat Summit never had a losing season. As a matter of fact, I can remember, and she's coached some great players. Uh, we had Candace Parker on the show back some three years ago, and uh, she talked about how much uh, Pat Summit uh, meant to her at that time. And uh, we saw her a lot this week. Um, with various interviews and and wow she had a spectacular game earlier this week for the LA Sparks Um, but uh, again um, you talk about great coaches of all time certainly Pat Summit one of the greatest to ever do it all right we are back with our HBCU Legends series here on from the press box to press row and I am joined by a pro football hall of famer played 16 years in the National Football League, all with the Houston Oilers, a eight-time Pro Bowler, four-time first-team All-Pro, and of course, he was a third-round selection in 1968 out of North Carolina A&T. The one and only Elvin Bethea joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Elvin, uh, welcome to the program. All right, thank you very much, and thank you for that uh interest there on me sounds very good (laughs) no absolutely and you know i want to start here because i had a chance i don't uh, always watch the uh pro football hall of fame inductions but i had a chance to watch when you were inducted in 2003 of course um uh, uh hornsby howell introduced you what what did it mean to you first of all to be inducted into the pro football hall of fame well, it meant a great deal of all the t- time and hard work that I put in, and this just didn't start in, co- in high school. I mean, well, it started all in high school, but then you go to college and you put all your work in and hope that you're but never expecting 
were best to happen, but that, that, a lot of guys said that was my dream, and I knew I was. No, I had no idea. I just played played the game like I thought it could should be played, and uh, and that was the end end result, which was a good result. Yeah, it, it definitely. <laughs> no, it, it it definitely was because I mean that's you know you you play the game to your point, you put the work in. I mean the numbers. Um, eight times in the Pro Bowl, four times first team All Pro, a couple of playoff appearances. I mean, I think it sort of speaks for itself. But I mean, e- even though you, like you said, maybe you weren't necessarily as you played the game looking for that to happen, but there was a twenty-year gap between the last year you played and, of course, when you were inducted. And I guess during that time, talk that you would be. How, was that was that agonizing for you to? I kind of have to go through that and not knowing if when it was going to happen. You know, honestly, I never expected it. And uh, after I retired, many people, uh, newsmen and other people outside the game, said, "Yeah, you're uh, you're a Hall of Fame." I said, "I don't even know what Hall of Fame. I had no idea, and I never followed the Hall of Fame induction ever." And uh, it uh, it's just one of those things that I really wasn't uh, until I guess my last I guess the last five years that uh, I, I was eligible and people would always break and uh, to come up to me say you're a Hall of Fame I say I don't know I mean say, if I get it get it if I don't each year each year my name would go in and and I'd be uh, I'd have as they said you you only had so many were going to go in and. I looked at it number, and I always said that uh, players from the, from either the West Coast or East Coast, whether or, or from Dallas, and no one ever heard of Houston Oilers, and that's what I figured. Uh, and it was going. Uh, if you went in, you went in because of, of recognition of the team name. But I never expected it until uh, my I guess my last four or five years, when people would bring it up. I said, "Hey, I don't know if I make it or make it. If I don't, life goes on." Yeah, but isn't isn't that interesting though? And I I don't have every, but you know when you think about Warren Moon and Ken Hughes, I mean they're like what five of you guys. And 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 by the way, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that. I mean I think Robert Brazil should be in as yeah. well. But it's like five of you guys from the Houston Oilers that are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, well it's uh, you know it's, it's, you look at all these other teams, and uh, like I said, I always expected if you're from New York or East Coast, or you're from California or the Dallas Cowboys, you were automatically going in <laughs> because you're here playing with Houston and all the rec- the records that we had, 1-13 back-to-back, and I felt that, that that played a part in if you go to the – if you're recognized. And I didn't think well, I would well, I would be recognized here, and, you know, they're from Houston and and all the other big-name teams. But then, then uh, we finally put, put, put ourselves on the map, I guess, in 1978, 78, 79, and we recognized Earl Campbell came in, uh, things turned around for us, and we were recognized as a, a uh, competitive team. That the voice of uh, Pro Football Hall of Famer Elvin Bethea joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And I guess, I mean, some early years, I mean, I guess a little bit of success, at least in 1969. And as you mentioned, there was a bit, there was a nice little lull there in 78, 79, 80. You guys uh, make the playoffs. What what were those, the, the times in between, I guess, uh, 69 to the next time you made uh, the playoffs in 78? What, what were those times like? Oh, they, they were miserable, <laughs> miserable. 
you didn't want them. You know, we'd go to the stadium. I, uh, as you remember, the old Saints that they used to have pictures with the bag, people with bags on their on their heads, and that was basically was it was it here? Uh, what happened here in Houston? Uh, you know, though, even though we still had followers and we had tr- true followers, but the stands weren't filled. And we just didn't have any any really draft choices that made a difference back then, and that play, plays on uh, you know how well you're gonna uh, gonna be as a team. And we uh, never never got real great athletes, but we had you know top name athletes that that were in college, but came to the pros and came to Houston. And I mean Charlie Joyner, and that was a sad thing that Charlie Joyner, uh, Steve Larson, who came in, who are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, they came here and they 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 just traded them off, and uh, no one expected that. You know, these guys would be in the Hall of Fame down the road. But we had personnel, but uh, the the, the uh, management here just didn't wait for it to to uh, to, to really build and a uh, chance for players to get together, you know, understand the game and play the game to their best. And and it was just one of those things. It was just a turnstile. Uh, uh, You'd see people come in and go out. So that was the, that was the team back then. They, I don't think they re- really wanted to put any. They never put any money into it. Yeah. Into a player. So. Yeah. Uh uh-huh. Go ahead. That that was the end result. And you know, whatever you put in is you're going to get to get back out of it. So they put nothing in as far as draft choices. They got nothing back out. And those years were very very lean years. I mean five five and back then we played what fourteen games. And you know, five and nine, and uh, like I said, I went through two years, one and thirteen. That was the longest years of my life. Wow! So that was bad. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. is that is rough. But 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 conversely, even you know, seventy eight, seventy nine, eighty, much better years. Talk about those years. Oh, those those were great years, and I, I enjoyed those to the fullest because of what I had gone through prior. Uh, that year, where Earl came in, and all, all we needed, we had a defense. We had the Brazil. We had had, uh, had um, uh, who was it? Um, Bubba Smith came was here, and, and also Tody Smith. And we had some people that could play defense, and um, we were ranked up with Curly Cup. Can't forget him out. He he, he was another ter- um, great asset to our team, but. Curly came here in '76, and we finally built a defense, and we were number one, number two those prior years, and when we just didn't have an offense. Then Earl came in in '78, and things changed automatically. Uh, we had had the quarterback Pastorini, had receivers, and Kenny Burles. Uh, you remember that name? Yep. And uh, we just didn't have a, a offensive punch, and uh, defense carried a little, but '78, '79, '80. Uh, those were the greatest years of my my entire career. Hold the line for me one second. We're talking with Pro Football Hall of Famer Elvin Bethea here on From the Press Box to Press Row. More after this small pause for the cause. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That the voice of Ronda Rousey. It was something that I specifically asked for, not just because I wanted to fight for the Brazilian people, also that I really can't stand this chick, and I would rather beat her in her home country on her own turf so that she knew that she lost with every single possible advantage she could have. That's the voice of Michael Strahan talking with us about his 
college playing days at Texas Southern. You know, a lot of guys were probably out there partying and in some cases chasing behind the girls. I was working out because I didn't see Texas Southern as being like my stop. That was part of my journey until where I wanted to go. Kevin Hart, George is here on From the Press Box to Press Room. Now, are you going to return to New Orleans for the NBA Celebrity Game to defend your MVP crown? Of course I am, man. I'm trying to three-peat. Right now, he's <laughs> two-time celebrity all-star game MVP. If I can get a three, a three-peat, I'm retiring from the game of basketball. I will have done what no man can do. Adrian Peterson. We're strong enough. He built us to be strong enough to do that. That's powerful. It is. Like, that's powerful. That's how easy to put things in perspective and know that, hey, you know, tough times don't come. But if you trust in God, believe in God, he's going to get you through it. Mike Krzyzewski or Coach K, you know, there was an article that came out with the headline stating NBA needs to pull stars from USA Basketball, which is showcasing only Duke's coach. To me, it's absurd because before USA Basketball, Coach K was on the map and winning national championships. However, how do you respond to that? Well, I don't think you have to respond to it because something that comes way out of left field, it's apparent that we don't need... USA Basketball to help our program. I've won three national championships before being the USA coach and went to numerous Final Fours and had number one recruiting classes. I think the response from everybody has been, you know, come on. That the voice, of course, of T.I. and some hard times down in the ATL, though, T.I. And that is understood. It wouldn't be the first. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't be the first. Nor the worst. No, nah, no question. I'm, I'm still, I'm still down with the skins, man. What can I say? They're, they're not doing too well right now. Well, like, <laughs> you know what I mean. We gotta, hey, hey, hey look, man. We gotta, we gotta hold it down so we can, so we can get it back right again. <laughs> we're joined by Serena Williams. You were in Sports Illustrated's swimsuit issue a couple of years ago. You feel like you're a sex symbol. <laughs> I'm just Serena, and that's all I can be. And whatever people think is. I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm all, I feel honored that they might feel that way. Though. Maybe the greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time, and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because it was against his religion. Mm-hmm. All, all the top black athletes together, along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh, man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. Snoop, you football league has done so many wonders for myself, and not only me, but the kids and the volunteers and the parents and the people that have been associated with it. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have grown a Division One. The face of women's soccer in the U.S. is Alex Morgan. Phenomenal moment. The semifinal game against Canada where you scored in the extra time. Everyone's thinking Abby's going to get to that. <laughs> you know, it kind of fell directly to, to me into my head, and it was definitely the biggest goal of my career. Jim Caldwell in his first season as the head coach of the Detroit Lions. If a coach is named a coach in waiting, the next year he becomes that head coach. He goes 14-2. and His team goes to the Super Bowl. The next year he goes 10-6. and His uh, team goes to the playoffs. And then because of a 2-14 and record, but part of that record is because certainly one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time misses the entire season. After the end of that season, the coach is fired. Is that fair to that coach? <laughs> well, you know, in this business it is. <laughs> because um, that's the thing that I think most people that are in it and understand it. It's what have you done for me lately. At that particular year, we didn't win enough games, plain and simple. He's the one and only Darius Rucker. I love sports. I love all sports. I watch them all. I'm into the World Cup right now like everybody else is. But 
it took me this two times a year, this football season and waiting for football season. And right now I'm waiting for football season. I love it. Oklahoma City Thunder forward Kevin Durant. What about the success that you've had you're maturing as an NBA player? One of the young uh, superstars in the league. Oh, uh, yeah, well, I'm just, you know, trying to get better every single day. We've been through a lot as a team, and I enjoy playing with a great group of guys. You know, hopefully we get to reach our goal one day. From the press box to press row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's from the press box to press row, real, relevant radio. The others pretend. You're listening to the only sports talk show in America that actually cares what you've got to say. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. Let's continue the conversation as Elvin Bethea joins us here on the program. Pro Football Hall of Famer, of course, played his collegiate ball at North Carolina A&T. And, you know, we were talking off mic and... um, you know, obviously, when you played, things were much different. The money isn't uh, wasn't like it is today. You you had a job, uh, I guess, during the off season, and and we hear that a lot of times from a lot of the players that played uh, back then. But I guess, but the good thing is, and fortunate for you, you started at Anheuser Busch in 1977, six years before you retired. As a matter of fact, and so you were able. Um, to parlay a career after football. Right. Well, it didn't start then. It started back in 1968, uh, well, 69, after I played my first year. I I, uh, went back to Greensboro and tried to, Greensboro, North Carolina, where the A&T is, and tried to find a job. And back then, uh, the only thing they had was P. Lorillard, which was the uh, cigarette company. And back then, so back trying to find, I think my first year was $16,000, $15,000 a game, I mean, a year, well, four months, I always say. Wow. And, and you couldn't find, couldn't find a job, so, so uh, 68, 69, I played out here and went back home, but 70, I moved here permanently and, and started working with a, a big, big, big and tall man's clothing store. And that's when, because you had to have a job, otherwise you starved to death. Because you had, you, you, you if you were married and had a kid, uh, I think my house first house house payment, I mean house, house was uh, fifteen thousand dollars. I paid for it in Greensboro. What? Wow. So I had with a fifteen thousand dollars salary, and my my I had to buy a car. And I think the car was eight thousand dollars, and. And uh, my first house was fifteen thousand dollars, so money wasn't that great back then. But you you made made out with the best of it. So, like I said, I started in seventy, moved to Houston, had a uh, work for for a um, clothing store, large and uh, big and big and uh, tall man's clothing store from sixty from seventy till seventy eight, and then I started working with Anheuser Busch uh, doing off season. And I worked with a guy. I'm sure you remember this name, Robert Newhouse. Sure. Yeah, yeah. He and I worked together. Wow. Uh, we started there with Anheuser Busch, and I just com- com- just continued working until uh, uh, doing off season until I retired in '83 and went right to work. Uh, retired in December, went went right to work in January. So those days are gone. Those days are different. They're, the money is different, so you don't have to work anymore. But it would be wise to learn something 
prepare you for the uh, retirement years because they're going to happen, guaranteed. Yeah. No, no question. I mean, that that is fascinating. $15,000 a year? $15,000. I, I did so well the first year. Uh, they gave me a raise of $1,000 with the 16 the next year. <laughs> I, I don't mean to laugh, but I mean. If you, you, oh, I laugh at it. I, <laughs> I laugh at it. And people don't believe it. And I was one of the, I was 15, but players before me were making eight. Jim Brown, I think he retired at 88000 he told me, or somewhere near there. And guys were playing back then for 12, from 8000 to Sam Huff told me he played for, for $9,000 a year. Wow. Okay, well, and they were playing what twelve games back then. So uh, if you did, if these players would go back and look at history of the game, uh, they're very lucky. Yeah, very lucky. Yeah, your thoughts? I mean, it, w- with the game, not only with the with the salaries, mm-hmm. as you mentioned. I mean, if you, I mean, if you manage your money correctly, you'll be oh, set. Yeah. Your family's set for the you know for the for the duration. Really, um, yeah, you had to. Yeah. But I think now, you know, we, we see a lot of athletes that kind of, you know, maybe mismanage the money and some of them are, you know, are broke. I think I read somewhere, what, 80% of, of athletes oh, yeah. are, you know, they don't have it's, – it's, it's crazy. But your thoughts on, on the salaries and then where the game is from the perspective of all of the different uh, concussions, the safety of the game, et cetera, is a little more uh, rugged when you played. Oh, yes, well – Back then, we a concussion. We had no idea what concussions were. Didn't uh, no rhyme or reason. Or you just hit and you got dinged. That was the word. That was the name back there. And you see these stars in your head and floating around in your eyes. And coach, coach, go to the sideline. And the coach said, "How you, how you doing as a trainer?" He said, "Oh, he's okay. Can he go play? Can he play? Yeah, he can play. Throw him back in there." And we don't thought nothing of it. You just got dinged. And. Uh, you know, later on in life, we finally find out what what the results of all those things are, and uh, you know, the sad thing is that the players that that went through what they went through, and and the, the quality of, of equipment back then, and I wish I could show show the audience what I played in for my first year. It was just a shell and and uh, just some ribbing on the top of your head to hold it to to hold your. There was a, Money in, in this sport 
Well, it's, it's not a sport. I always tell people it's not a sport. It's a it's a it's a business, mm-hmm. and that's just what you have to look at as in making your business decision. How many years you're going to be there? Nobody knows. One year, sixteen years, but football will be there when you leave. That's guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. No. A couple of more thoughts with pro football. Hall of Famer Elvin Bethea, who joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. How, what is your involvement? Obviously, the, um, the 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 Houston Oilers formerly moved to Tennessee. Now the Tennessee Titans. That was back in 1999. Um, I, I, I'm, I know you're still involved with the Titans. How, how, what is your involvement maybe with the, with the current Houston Texans? Oh, none. None. Uh, I'm like a stepchild. <laughs> I have not. I've been in that stadium twice, maybe three times since they've moved here. And I went out to a, an interview to, for a job over there, and uh, I get, they said I had too much experience. Too <laughs> so, much? What, what was too much? <laughs> too much experience. Okay. So I interviewed and uh, never heard back from them. This was 2000. One when they I think it was 2001 when they when they came in and I I, I never looked back I and, I and life goes on yeah so I see the stadium when I go out there nor near there but I uh, I wanted to always coach I wound up coaching in the uh, I call it Pee Wee League for 28 years when I retired first retired so uh, the game uh, I I uh, I'll watch it watch playoffs but not sit down and watch a regular game um. But uh, I would love to coach, but I didn't get the opportunity. And so, you know, life goes on. That's the way I take it. I'm easygoing. Yeah, no, no but, question. Uh, yeah, but they're, uh, they're, they're, they they will – one day they're, they're going to get there. Uh, you know, the game is different. I mean, players are different. The game the is a business, and that's the way you look at it. So, and uh, enjoy it while, while, while you're there. Sure. Those uh, A&T days that you guys won a CIAA championship back in 1964, what do you remember most about your football playing days or just your days in general at North Carolina A&T? Oh, God, you're talking about, talking about, they were good days and they were bad days. Uh, back then, you everybody uh, wanted to go to the pros, and I never even knew what the the pros where I never I never even seen a football game. I'm from New Jersey and the Giants in Philadelphia between the Giants and Philadelphia where I live in, in Trenton, New Jersey and I never even followed football, professional football and you know I'm I'm here at uh A and T and everybody uh you got the scouts coming in. I didn't know what I just played the game wide open, played what four to four positions while I was there with defensive end and Linebacker, and then we had. I was on the field 60, 60 minutes. They called me to sixty minute man. It went both ways, and uh, those days were were, were tough. Um, for, for from what these kids are getting now, and they have no idea what what we went through. I mean that the the equipment was wasn't the best. Uh, you only had what there were six coaches. It's not like now in colleges uh, and. Uh, we I always tell people the big money we got for our, our per diems or whatever it was fifteen dollars a month they would give us for for our laundry and whatever you wanted to call it hmm. and that's what they gave you as your per diem for for the month and we thought that was like fifteen hundred dollars <laughs> fifteen hundred dollars 
<laughs> you could buy a hamburger or, or a bologna sand, bologna and cheese sandwich, <laughs> and you were you were high dollar back then. But and nobody had any money, and we were you know small black college, and most of the kids uh, that were well, for, from small college, for, from small towns, from small areas, and, and I'm from New Jersey, and it was an eye opener for me. Right. Uh, yeah, I go over and I was in, I went to an integrated school at the time, and now I'm going to all black college and all black teams that we're playing against. And uh, I would, wouldn't I wouldn't trade it. I'd do it all over again. I would do it all over. That was the best years of my that I'd ever had. And uh, it was either that or going to Vietnam. That, that was my choice. But that's what everybody's choices were back then. Wow. So. You uh, you enjoyed those days. I mean, they were tough days. You look back and say, "How did we make it?" We always we we get our guys get together in the homecoming. Just say, "How do we make it from what we went through?" But we made it, and uh, would do it all over again. Wow! I would do it every day. I mean, anytime you, if I had the opportunity, I'd do it all over. I wouldn't have go to going going to a big school. Wow! But I had a lot of fun there. So uh, those were great days, great days, and uh, it helped build, make me who I am. I, I thought, yeah, I, I always said, tell coach. That's why I had coach to uh, present me, uh, Coach Howell, and um, he, he made me into what I I am today, and also the college. And I do it all over again. Nice. Sixteen years, all with the Houston Oilers, inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2003, an eight-time Pro Bowler, four-time first-team All-Pro, had 105 sacks in his career, of course, formerly uh, in in 1968, a third-round draft choice by the Houston Oilers out of North Carolina A&T. Elvin Bethea joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Elvin, we appreciate the time. Thank you for sharing your story with us. I appreciate and thank you for having me on today. You got it, Elvin, and we're back after this. The radio program that's talking sports from New York City to Cali and globally on the World Wide Web. From the press box to press row continues after this. The following is a message from the Bud Light Party. The Bud Light Party tackles the issues other candidates won't dare touch, like doors. They push, they pull, they even slide. Why can't doors make up their minds? Is that really who you want in charge of keeping people out of your home? The Bud Light Party has an open-door policy, so come on in, America, and enjoy a nice cold Bud Light. This message approved by the Bud Light Party. Raise one to right now. Enjoy responsibly. Bud Light Beer, AB, St. Louis, Missouri. BoxToRow.com is the website for all of your HBCU sports needs. From the game of the week feature to interviews to the latest news in the world of HBCU sports. BoxToRow.com has you covered. Missed a week of From the Press Box to Press Row? BoxToRow.com has all the archive shows. Don't forget to check out the All-American teams and weekly media coaches polls. From the Press Box to Press Row. And BoxToRow.com, your HBCU sports leader. It's Donald Ware from the Press Box to Press Row. Welcome back to From the Press Box to Press Row in our final segment of the program. And I want to talk, I want to kind of sum up the NBA Finals and the Cleveland Cavaliers winning. I know it's a couple of weeks old, hadn't had a chance to talk about it since I've been out. Um, 
you know, again, for me, what and when you look at Golden State and I go back to the OKC series in the Western Conference Finals and how um, essentially in a similar situation with OKC up um, three games to one, you had the Draymond Green situation where he uh, kicked Adams in the groin. And, and, and to me, the more I continue to look at that replay, I think uh, Green played it off. I mean, I think he purposely tried to kick Adams. He was not suspended for that game. And, and you know, to be honest with you, I mean, I, I you know, you want for me, I, I and I have no dog in the fight. I want to see the best players on on the respective teams go head up. In other words, I don't want a guy suspended, um, even though he probably should have been. Um, and 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 I don't, you know, I don't know the NBA's thinking because I think with the whole LeBron James situation when LeBron stepped over him and um, Draymond Green took a swipe. Um, you know, I didn't think that warranted a suspension, but I think just so much with Green and I, you know, the NBA got it wrong twice. They got it wrong in the Western Conference Finals and they got it wrong here in the NBA Finals. But essentially what happened to Golden State when probably Green should have been suspended and maybe OKC goes on to win that series, it ultimately cost them Green's actions, um, right or whether the NBA was, again, I think the NBA was wrong on both accounts, um, but sort of it's the saying what goes around comes around. And this time, you know, uh, with with Green out for Game Five, that definitely, definitely hurt the uh, the Warriors, and and I think ultimately cost them. I don't want to say ultimately cost them the series because I mean, you know, I mean, quite frankly, Steph Curry didn't play well. Klay um, Thompson was sort of up and down. A little bit. There wasn't any consistency, and by the way, not having an Andrew Bogut really, I think, hurt Golden State as well. But I want to give Cleveland a lot of credit, and I mean, to me, just the demeanor when you know, and just in the shots that they would show LeBron James, sort of the cutaways when they would show him by himself. I mean, just his general demeanor was so much different than I've ever seen him before. His focus was, was – he had laser focus. And with the exception of a couple of uh, uh, gaffes with him, with the, the whole thing, um, with uh, when when he and um, – uh, when he sort of gritted, if you will, on, on Steph Curry. I don't remember which game it was. And then the step over of Draymond Green. With the exception of those two incidents, I think he was just laser focused in his – you know, he, he willed – or help to, I want to say, will Cleveland to this victory. And it is why he came back. This is why he, this is, he said, this is why I'm coming back. He had really, you know, I mean, think about it. He, you know, when we go back two years ago, I mean, why come back to Cleveland? I mean, you still got a great thing going on uh, in Miami, uh, poised to win multiple championships, at least to, um, at least to compete in. I mean, the Heat, they were in, I mean, they won two of four, but they were in four straight. You know, so, I mean, they were poised to continue to win it. Why come back to Cleveland? So he wanted to bring his hometown, his home area, a championship, and he did that. With that, I think, you know, and, 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 and Kevin Love, I mean, you know, he, he, he definitely um, played his part, did, did much better, obviously, in Game 7 with the, 
with that, whatever many points he scored, but they were some key buckets, but more importantly, his rebounding and his step up of his defense. I mean, he's been, you know, much maligned for the lack of defense and he, he stepped up a little bit uh, in game uh, seven. But, um, you know, Kyrie Irvin deserves all the credit in the world. Not only did he hit that huge shot, that huge three-pointer when the game was tied, and uh, it just that that was that was the game breaker. Although he seemed to kind of come down on the next possession and jacked up a shot um, before, and, and they were able to get the Cleveland was able to get the rebound back. But if you look at what Kyrie Irving did in this series, and it it, it sort of goes to show, I think at least that. Had Kyrie Irving been healthy last year in the finals that maybe Cleveland would have won it? Um, Certainly, I think it may have been a lot closer. Although it went six games, it could have possibly gone seven. Um, And give this young man a lot of credit for this reason. When he was drafted, was that in, I guess, 2009, 2010, whatever year it was, um, Cleveland was definitely down. Uh, I guess it was 2010. LeBron James had left. And... You know, for the next three or four years, he had sort of been the face of the franchise, even though they weren't very good. I mean, he was, you know, he was the guy. And then to have to, you know, two years ago uh, or last season, sort of have to take a, a back seat when you were the man. It it took him, you know, it took him a little while to kind of get to kind of to kind of uh, realize that, hey, I'm, number one, I'm not the man anymore. Uh, LeBron James is here. I got to play more of a supporting role. And at times I need to step up and be the man. That's cool because, I mean, if you look at the numbers, um, Kyrie Irving led Cleveland, you know, in scoring in the playoffs, more specifically. And I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think he did, at least in the finals. And he certainly did in the Eastern Conference finals. He led this team in scoring. Had it not been as much credit as we give to LeBron James and everybody else did their part. I mean, J.R. Smith hit, hit, had some good games and hit shots. I'll take J.R. Smith on my team any day of the week because, yeah, while he may be off some games and you know we can go back to game one of the NBA Finals when he gives you absolutely nothing, there are going to be some games when he is going to be on. And I'll take him any day of the week. Um, he really stepped up, but. Kyrie Irving, boy, if Kyrie Irving doesn't do his part because Kevin Love gave Cleveland much of nothing throughout the entirety of the finals, um, then we're not even talking about uh, Cleveland and them being champions. So uh, big shots out, and and, and, uh, and, and definitely I think Kyrie Irving uh, deserves a lot of credit for Cleveland winning this championship let's continue to talk nba and if you want to join us on the conversation uh, hit us up via twitter at box to row b-o-x-t-o-r-o-w or on facebook b-o-x the number two r-o-w um obviously kevin durant is the big uh the big catch here uh in free agency uh w- with that being said i mean we have a number of other guys that uh, that are going to be key and and have uh, uh already kind of agreed to deals and one of the things I really look at and I said this on the program last year around this time when Cleveland uh, basically or more more or less I mean it was maybe a it was a few dollars 
uh, a couple of million dollars, and that's <laughs> I guess that's easy for for me to say a couple of million dollars. Uh, whereas Kevin Love uh, signed basically not a max contract, but almost a max contract, a couple of million dollars shy of a of a max contract, where he's getting twenty million dollars a year, and even at that time, and again, this was last year, and of course. Throughout the course of the season, good numbers in the playoffs, not so good uh, when you really need him to be better. I said at the time he wasn't a $20 million guy. I think that was proven um, this season. And I say that to say these salaries are absolutely outrageous, uh, especially for, you know, it's almost getting to the status of baseball salaries. And uh, I think the difference is at least in the NBA, there's a salary cap. Whereas in baseball, there is no salary cap. And you, you know, you got average players making eight to $10 million a year in major league baseball. Well, it seems like we're going down that route. When you talk about um, the NBA, if you look at Moskov, who was no factors, he didn't, didn't really play for the Cavaliers. He's going to get that ring. He now goes, to the Lakers at $64 million over four years. That's $16 million a year. And, yes, I realize the the structure of the salary cap goes up, therefore the contracts go up. But does, is Moskov a $16 million a year player? No, I don't, I don't think so. I look at, you know, some of the, some of the other uh, salaries. Um, you, know, I, you know, maybe Andre Drummond. You know he's got so much upside. I I don't know. You know it was for five years, one hundred thirty million dollars. I mean I I I don't know. Um, you know that may be okay. But when you you know you look at a guy like a a Beal for the Washington Wizards. Now if I look at the upside of this guy, um, is he a is he a five year one hundred thirty million dollar guy? Yeah, I mean he he could be in terms of his upside. Um, but what he's accomplished so far not that he hasn't accomplished because he's accomplished uh, quite a bit the problem is is that he has been injured a whole lot so you know he he gets uh he's gonna get a semi-max deal from the wizard so the contracts are very high and don't get me wrong I'm all for the players definitely getting their money I'm switching to Kevin Durant a little bit before we have to get out of here and and by the way Hassan Whiteside um, you talk about a guy that's going to get his money he's going to sign a contract four years 98 million dollars which is the max deal uh, max in in terms of what the heat can pay him it's a hundred times more than the contract he had previously but this bodes well I think for the heat I think Kevin Durant you know I think he ultimately resigns with OKC, he's going to meet with a bunch of teams, New York. But Miami's one of those teams. I would not sleep on Miami. Look what Pat Riley in Miami was able to do going back to the summer of 2010 in terms of landing LeBron James. I think Kevin Durant would be a perfect fit in Miami. You sign a guy like a white side. Um, Dwayne Wade comes back. Um, you know, they have some really good pieces, some young pieces. Uh, you know, Kevin, uh, uh, Chris Bosh uh, is supposed to be able to play and supposed to be healthy as well. And you put a Kevin Durant on that team, that's going to be awesome. But I just don't see um, Kevin Durant walking away right now from OKC with what they could accomplish. I think Golden State is a little bit vulnerable right now. OK, uh, OKC has gotten a little bit better. They also, in addition to maybe signing Durant, they may be able to sign another 
bigger free agent that'll make them even better. And uh, by the way, Westbrook still has one year remaining on his contract. So I think you sign a one year with a player option and then see what happens from there. But I think Kevin Durant ultimately stays uh, in OKC, but I will not sleep on Miami. My time is about up. I thank you for yours. Thank you to Pro Football Hall of Famer. Elvin Bethea for joining us here on the program. For more information on From the Press Box to Press Row, log on to our website at BoxToRow.com. Also, follow us on Twitter and friend us on Facebook. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications.